the first planned concert as an in-person event a year ago with the Boston Art Song Society in collaboration with baritone Emery Stevens. The plan was to explore the amplification of black voices in the white dominated classical music field. That mission is even more urgent tonight as we help to further Dr. Stevens project Singing Down the Barriers. This work aims to empower and encourage singers, voice teachers, voice coaches, and researchers of all ethnicities to study and perform the historically rich vocal music of classically trained African-American composers, and for our audiences to hear and appreciate this music as we will this evening. Two pianists are performing with Emery Stevens, Anne Schaefer, and Pierre Nicholas Columbot. Enjoy the music, and we will see you after the Q&A. Thank you. 
Through moaning pines, along the desolate roads we pass, through lonely pines and withered grass, the wind moans in the branches tall, and a heavy sadness broods o'er all.
Just a tender heart repining, taste yet skates its binding. And in memory of a home, forget it's not its own. Toil on, seeker, stumble, cry, never know the reason why. Alone in the moonlight, call to the sky, listen for the cold reply.
do I see? A band of angels after me. Come to tote me away from the fields all green, cause nobody knows the trouble I've seen.
new hiding place. My Lord, what a morning when the stars begin to fall. The rocks and the mountains shall all flee away, but you shall have a new hiding place that day.
Wait, wait. 
I'd uh, like to welcome for the performers to join me. Uh, there they are. Wonderful. Great. Well, there's a few things missing. A, we're not in person. Uh, B, we can't give you a standing ovation. So uh, on behalf of our audience, uh, bravo, brava. That was simply amazing. Um, so we're going to jump into some questions. And let me just pull up my magic document. So my first question is, how did the Boston Art, Science, Art Song Society uh, form? And do you see it evolving? Thanks, Victoria. I'll take that question. Um, I'm Ann Schaefer, Artistic Director of Boston Art Song Society. And first, I'd like to take a moment to thank Victoria and the Boston Athenaeum for having us tonight for this wonderful concert. Would not have been possible without you. It was amazing to record in the space and we're just so very grateful. Thank you. Um, and I'll go ahead and answer that question about Boston Art Song Society. Thanks so much. Um, we formed in 2015. Um, and actually, I was not a part of the organization at that time. So two women from the New England Conservatory started Boston Art Song Society. Um, they wanted to make an organization which would give young singers the opportunity to perform this repertoire. Um, in Boston and in other big cities, there are plenty of opportunities to perform operatic repertoire, but notoriously not as many uh, for performing art song, which is the genre that we specialize in. So 2015 is when we started and 2018 is when I came on board. Um, and of course, I see the organization um, evolving. We want to continue to build out our community partnerships. We're looking forward to some amazing programs next season, one particularly specializing in Chinese art song, which is very exciting. Um, and also we have a contemporary prelude series, which I really want to build upon, where we're trying to spearhead some new music initiatives and hopefully um, participate in some commissions eventually. Wonderful, thank you so much. Uh, next question is for Emery. Can you tell us a bit about your Singing Down the Barriers project and the article you wrote for the National Association of Teachers of Singing? Sure, thank you, Victoria. Um, the Singing Down the Barriers uh, project really emerged from uh, my, uh, my time uh, doing my doctoral work at the uh, University of Michigan. I was the only uh, African-American student in a, a voice uh, seminar class uh, for doctoral students. And I was doing a presentation on basically the performance practice of singing spirituals. And um, one, of my, um, one of my colleagues, um, I said, asked me to, about doing a spirituals. And then I had broached the, the question to the entire class. Um, in order to sort of think about possibly studying the spirituals and performing them. Anyway, long story short, all of my colleagues said, we cannot sing spirituals because we're not black. So that opened up the question of, okay, so is this, I, yes, we know the history of the genre. We know about enslaved Africans. But we also know about, we know the folk spirituals and we know the, the composed spirituals, which were on the program today, which were by classically trained composers of color. 
And their desire was to have that music performed by anyone who knew how to contextualize the music and also sing and respect the style of the ancestors who brought that music to life. So that really brought my work uh, to uh, lots of colleges and, and universities, working with students, working with pianists, working with other, um, other my co colleagues also who are in, uh, teaching voice, and um, to really think about promotion and where these voices that are not in the classical canon. Um, sometimes you'll hear Burley, sometimes you'll hear Hall Johnson, but there's a lot more composers that we just have not been able to hear regularly. So the article came out as another um, about diversifying the playing field and really looking at, so is it only left up to people of color or African-Americans to carry forth and perform the genre? Or is it responsibility that is shared? This is American music. Yes, it's seated in really a, a dark history in our country, but at the same point, it does bring together conversations that we can have around race and around sort of representation. And so that's what really brought me to this work. That's amazing. Thank you. So to Pierre, what initially drew you to Burley's set of piano pieces from Southland? Well, um, I first came across uh, Harry Thacker Burley in um, probably around 2014, 2013, through his five songs of Lawrence Hope, which um, ever since I first read through them with a friend, uh, they're usually performed with, with high voice, uh, soprano often. And um, ever since I first heard them, they just have this immediate appeal and this... Um, Beyond actually the the notes and the sounds themselves, something about the music, I could kind of feel the person on the other side of the page, like with the pen in their hand. Um, and because you, you get all these mixing influences in, in his music, um, if you look at the set, which was not on this program, but um, this is this is what drew me to this music in the first place. Um, the, the There's a clear Wagner references in his music to the point of having some quotations of Tristan and Isolde um, in, in the music. And you kind of get these other distinct influences, like these influences of, um, you know, of spiritual tunes. Um, so this, you kind of really start to see, okay, who was this person that was at this crossroads of all these different um, influences and creating just such fascinatingly appealing music. And I have to say, it's very comfortable to play at the piano too. So uh, it just it just fits in your hands very very well, and you can kind of see that um, he was very close to a piano when he was writing them. Um, so that then that that, that uh, there was this, this there was an immediate personal connection for me with this music and the the composer himself. Um, so after I performed those songs a few times, I started looking more and more. He has a set for violin and piano that's also fine. And there's this set of six piano pieces that I actually um, programmed in a concert just before uh, Anne reached out to me about this program. And at that moment, I was like, okay, this is really destiny. I mean, this, this 
composer that I had discovered that I immediately was drawn to, and then now I'm being asked to perform it in this fantastically curated concert. Um, so, and it's just, you know, it's just such a pleasure for me to, to play this music that spoke to me so vividly and so immediately. This question is for Anne. As the director of Boston Art Song Society, how do you think arts organizations can move forward, uh, move toward more inclusive programming? Great question. Thanks, Victoria. Um, so I think there are so many wonderful little arts organizations, a lot of them musician or artist run. And I think for the most part, they're very, very forward forward looking. I mean, we had this amazing opportunity to, and, you know, Emery reached out to me back in March, was that March 2019, summer 2019. And we planned the concert for, of course, 2020 and then the pandemic. And so it was postponed. But, you know, we have this amazing opportunity to perform all of these works on a single concert, which was so wonderful to celebrate them uh, all together. And there are so many connections between each of the songs, um, as I'm sure you could hear from the performance. Um, but I think looking forward, Boston Art Song Society would love to program these works on every single one of our concerts and especially focus in on um, living composers as well. Living composers, composers of color and female composers is where we're, where we're headed, I think. So definitely integrating that music into every program that we do because really it can shed so much light on the music that we, we hear all the time and vice versa, you know. So I'm interested in exploring that that avenue. Really exciting. So this is um, a question for all three of you. You don't have your, your turn. Uh, there have been so many beautiful pieces tonight. Uh, this person would love to know why, uh, to know if there's a particular one that speaks to each of you and why. That's a great question. Oh my goodness, narrowing down to one. <laughs> Each of them are very dear to my heart, but I think if I were to um, have one, and it's a very simple song, um, uh, but the poetry's from Langston Hughes, The Prayer, and especially in our day and time now, how, how do we move and, and operate in this space of um, a bunch of pain and conflict? So that has a really personal resonance tonight with, with my spirit, with my, my soul. I think um, so. I, you know, I just talked for a couple minutes about how much I love the six pieces I played. But the the revelation on the program for me, I think, was "I Too Speak America," which is a song that I didn't know previous to this, and um, just the immediacy and the directness of the of the poem and the text is just you know, it's one of those sit down moments, you know, and you just. You got you got to listen to what's being said, and um, it kind of mo gradually moves to uh, and gets more and more personal, and is just a very impactful song. Um, Thank you. I think for me, the song would have to be um, "Negro Speaks of Rivers" by Margaret Bonds. That song. At least the musical material was so elusive to me. It's so murky and and modal and mysterious. It's wonderful. 
Um, and I was doing a little bit of background research on uh, Margaret Bonds, and I found actually a quote from her that I would love to read uh, that mentions that, that poem and that song. She was a student at Northwestern University at a time where she was permitted to study at Northwestern, but not to use the facilities or to live there. So kind of an incredible story. Um, so she said about this poem, I was in this prejudiced university, this terrible prejudiced place. I was looking in the basement of the Evanston Public Library where they had the poetry. I came in contact with this wonderful poem, The Negro Speaks of Rivers, and I'm sure it helped my feelings of security. Because in that poem, he, Langston Hughes, tells how great the black man is. And if I have any misgivings, which I would have to have, here you are in a setup where the restaurants won't serve you and you, you're going to college, you're sacrificing, trying to get through school. And I know that poem helped save me. So just reading that quote and then thinking about the, the music was what really did it for me. So yeah, that's my special song. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Speaking of, of Margaret Bonds, this is, bear with me, it's a long question, but the good question. Uh, last month, the BBC reported on the rediscovery of a cache of Florence Price's papers in uh, 2009, now at the University of Arkansas. And the Margaret Bonds archive was believed lost until 2013 when it was preserved at Georgetown University. Both collections contain wonderful compositions that had never been recorded or performed, such as Price's Fantasy Niagara Number no. 3 and Margaret Bonds' Easter Cantata. Simon Bore the Cross with text by Langston Hughes. How can institutions like these partner with musicologists and performers not only to preserve these works, but to also introduce them to new audiences? I'll jump on that, in on that to start. Um, that is just amazing that some of that music is just now being discovered, right? I was reading a little bit about Florence Price and uh, I think some family was looking to buy her abandoned summer home in Chicago and they actually found a lot of scores that were previously believed to be lost. Uh, so that's how we've discovered a lot of her music. Um, about institutions partnering with um, music organizations, I think that's really the way of the future um, and musicologists as well. It's wonderful to have a scholarly input whenever we can. And I think what institutions could do for smaller music organizations is facilitate certain parts of that process, right? In a partnership, uh, you, have, you know, at the Athenaeum, we have a beautiful space to record in. It's incredible. Um, but, you know, sometimes there are issues of licensing the music that perhaps an institution could facilitate. Um, that's something that can be a barrier for smaller organizations, those kinds of logistical things. Um, so I think that could be a great way. And of course, partnering with musicologists because I mean, Emery, Pierre and I are interested in the historical background of things, but we are not musicologists, we are performers. So it is really nice to have, have the input of, of true full-time musicologists for these sorts of things. I think I'll just add too to that. Um, it's really important actually in terms of the promotion of this music because we don't know. I think it was a question in chat, you know, how many sort of composers of color are there or black composers? Well, you know, we don't know really. There are a lot more than what we do know. 
Um, and um, some are being, again, we have a lot of contemporary composers of color now um, that we can see their music within a lot of our programming. And I think it's a wonderful thing too, in terms of um, the partnerships is to seat the music, the, the things that are already in the classical canon on the same level, those new voices in the canon. So having more of a blended program, it doesn't have to be all African-American, but it could be a blended program of really wonderful music uh, to enjoy that has many voices, not just the ones in the traditional canon. Absolutely, absolutely. For Pierre, just out of curiosity, as someone who also plays ragtime, how far beyond an octave can you reach with your left <laughs> hand? Have you ever had to adapt some chords to play the wide reaches of Joplin or Fats Waller? So th this, this is somewhere, uh, you know, if I really work towards it, it's it's an eleventh, but it's mostly just a tenth. Um, you know, and, and most of this stuff you just need a tenth. Um, I would say that since since if we're really diving into piano technique land, um, Fats Waller and Scott Joplin might look the same on the page, but Fats Waller is a whole nother can of worms because Scott Joplin usually hangs out around an octave in the in the bass, um, and one of the one of the most often overlooked things I find in people that play Scott Joplin's music is the tempo marking of not fast. And then there's a box that says it is never right to play a ragtime fast. And he just keeps printing it to not be played fast. So technically speaking, it's, it's, um, it is tricky, of course, but uh, it's a little bit more um, domestic. And Fats Waller, you really got to just you know, have no fear because you're, you're throwing tents down there at, at all sorts of speeds. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's not, it's not just having the span that matters is I guess my point. <laughs> so, um, I lost my place. Sorry. <laughs> so, uh, what is it like performing in the Athenaeum with art by Alan Rohan Kreit and others listening in? It was a really, actually, uh, that was very inspiring to me. Um, my partner's a docent at the Detroit Institute of Art. So, uh, I know of Alan Kreit's work through him, and I know he was a very, very, um, he captured the urban sort of, uh, yes, landscape and a biographer in, in Boston. I grew up in Boston, too. I wish I had known about him. Again, you know, all these voices that we don't hear of. But anyway, it was just a wonderful seeing the sort of Alan Kreitz along with the other, there's, what, what was in behind me, the slave? Um, Thomas Perkins. Thomas, yes. And so when I was, you know, talking about sort of Ethiopia, Sullivan Colors, having that energy through those portraits in the room actually was very inspiring and kind of chilling in some parts too. We're going to end on this question. Some of these beautiful songs have been heard so infrequently. Which ones were the biggest revelations for you? Anyone, anyone. 
any takers. <laughs> I think I really enjoyed discovering. I mean, I, I spoke about the Margaret Bond song previously, but I enjoyed discovering the spiritual arrangements, um, hearing those modal melodies and how um, there's so much thematic overlap. You know, I love how um, when Emery sent me the program, you know, we did wade in the water and then you hear that same theme in in ethiopia saluting the colors so really the overlap of the two and the way that i was able to think about the spirituals and the art song as closer in genre than i ever had before you know it's the marriage of of poetry text and music so that was nice to discover <laughs> i think um this is back um there's a um, there was an anthology in the 50s um, that was you know, the first one that was compiled of several composers, uh, Black composers, and um, the epitaph for a poet, the County Cullen uh, setting by Cecil Cohen. Uh, it was one of the things I did years ago, and I said, oh my gosh, there's two pages says the world. I mean, it just, it's, the, the poetry is just so brilliantly sort of laid in with the, the music. And so I think I'm, I'm a, a big thing about uh, the marriage between poet, poem, poetry and music. And so that one just really uh, spoke to me in a, in a very uh, meaningful way. So, uh, yeah, outside of the Margaret Bonds one, I think there's a, for, for those, uh, with kind of maybe a previous experience with this repertoire, there's a kind of hidden song in the six Burley pieces that I played. There's a few hidden songs. Um, and one of them is Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen, which is in number five. And it's those words, uh, Nobody Knows the Troubles I've Seen is in the poem. Um, it's not really clear to me whether the poem is referencing the song, but at least H.T. Burley makes it clear that he, he makes that connection. Obviously, in a solo piano piece, you don't get that text, but you do get this rhythm of da 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 da. da. And as, once I kind of really started keying into that, um, that rhythm pops up in all the other songs, in kind of um, where it doesn't really need to be there. I got to be honest. And so, and, and it's not, this is not a criticism, but it's clear that Burley is weaving this rhythm into the rest of the whole song and kind of echoing this section that happens in number five. When I say that it don't need, doesn't need to be there, I mean, it, it's a kind of an inserted portion to something that's already happening. And when you hear it, it's not a very um, striking rhythm. But the more you kind of pay attention to it, the more you realize it's in number six, it's in number four, it's also in number two. And it's just kind of this recurring underlying um, hidden song that for me, as I kept working on it, was definitely a revelation. 